sanctification. The baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost is for sanctification. It is done upon the body and the spirit within each person. The work of this baptism of fire is always sanctification. It brings the recipient into greater contact with God. The end of that increasing contact is to receive the Son, through whose blood all can be sanctified, see Genesis 4, paragraph 9. Once sanctified, one is prepared for the presence of the Father. See Alma 21, paragraph 3, and 1 Nephi 3, paragraph 5. It is the companionship of the Spirit that makes one justified by leading him or her to do what is right. It is the resulting application of Christ's blood on one's behalf that sanctifies, see Genesis 4, paragraph 9. One cannot receive sanctification without first receiving baptism and then also the Holy Ghost. In effect, you receive holiness through the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. This in turn makes your own spirit holy. Man is unworthy to enter into God's presence and therefore, requires a power higher than his own from which to borrow purity. This purifying agent is the Holy Ghost, see 3 Nephi 9, paragraphs 3-4. Christ will administer the final rites and confer the final blessings only upon the pure, see 3 Nephi 9, paragraphs 4-5. The reference to blood as sanctifying is a reference to the Lord, see Genesis 4, paragraph 9. He alone sanctifies. Christ sanctifies mankind. They don't sanctify themselves. To be purified, to be sanctified by the Lamb, removing from you, and taking upon Himself the responsibility to answer for whatever failings you have. This is not ritual purity. This is purity in fact. To be sanctified is to be qualified to stand in the presence of God without sin, clean of all blood and sin, righteous forever. He is Christ's, and Christ is the Father's, and all that each of them will be is the same. For we shall see Him as He is, because we will be like Him. To be like Him is to be sanctified. Satan A title that means accuser, opponent, and adversary. Hence, once he fell, Lucifer became, or in other words was called, Satan because he accuses others and opposes the Father. See Revelation 4, paragraph 4 and 8, paragraph 6. The Lord rebuked Peter and called him Satan because he was wrong in opposing the Father's will for him, and Peter understood and repented. There are those who have been Satan, accusing one another, wounding hearts, and causing jarring, contention, and strife by their accusations. Satan was, and is, an angel. He is described as an angel of God who was in authority in the presence of God and was cast down. TNC 69, paragraph 6 and 157, paragraph 7. Such a being does not look vile. Visually, he may appear to have light and glory. Although a liar, he uses his appearance as a pretense to be an angel of light. Moses was able to discern between Satan and an actual messenger from God but that had nothing to do with the appearance of Satan. It was because of the content of the message. Moses distinguished between his message and the Lord's. The Lord's was a message of glory, which is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. Satan's message takes one into a dark and dreary waste. See also the glossary entries, accuse. Lucifer. Scales of Darkness Joseph restored a faith demanding that men and women awake and arise. 
they must ask God to remove the scales that blind them. See 2 Nephi 12, paragraph 12. The blinding scales are a darkness and an incorrect weight and measure. There is no reason to err, because all men and women can ask God for the answer. If one's judgment is not just, their dark scales will condemn them. Care is required to correctly distinguish between what is God's and what is the devil's. School of the Prophets A theological training program where lectures were prepared to instruct early members of the Mormon priesthood on how to acquire faith. The series of lectures was formalized and adopted as scripture, titled Lectures on Faith, and included in the 1835 canon. Scripture Inspired writings containing information either directly quoting the Lord or containing lessons, experiences, events, or words of instruction that honor God. To be acknowledged, a conference must adopt the writing as part of a canon. People who are in a living covenant with God always have an open canon and expect additional scripture. Sealed in their foreheads To seal the servants of God in their foreheads etc. means to seal the blessing on their heads meaning the everlasting covenant thereby making their calling and election sure. Sealing Power There are three kinds of sealing authority. The first is given at the founding of a dispensation. As a dispensation head, the first form of sealing power is given to establish a covenant for the benefit of those living then and thereafter. Joseph Smith was given a dispensation. This first form of priesthood is only given to men by God. The second is embedded in authoritative ordinance. All dispensations must follow the covenant giver's ordinances or preserve the ordinance as established through the dispensation head. For as long as the ordinances are kept intact, the covenant is in effect. The condition of being faithful remains part of the ordinance, and the ordinance must be practiced faithfully and cannot be changed, or it is broken. If these conditions are met, the covenant is sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, and the blessing is secured. This second form of sealing power is not dependent on the presence of a dispensation head and can be a limited sealing authority. This form of sealing is conditional. God is not bound by anything that is one iota different from His Word. It can be passed from man to man, from generation to generation, and remains in full force and effect for so long as the covenant is unbroken. The third kind of sealing power goes beyond either of the first two. It is given only in rare circumstances and for highly specific purposes. With it, man has the authority to control the elements. This was held by Christ and given to Enoch, Melchizedek, Moses, and Elijah. This was the reason Christ declared that no man could take his life, but he could both lay it down and take it up again. Every individual with this authority must choose to give their lives up willingly their lives cannot be taken. This third form is extremely rare and involves an extraordinary combination of mortality and immortality, in which God has faith in a man. All those given this third form of sealing power have only one objective, saving the souls of men. Second Comforter See Comforter, the Second Seed of Abraham those who hearken to the same God that Abraham hearkened to. The seed of Abraham have an obligation and a ministry to bear testimony that the God of Abraham lives and that he is the God over the whole earth. 
They also testify that his work began with Adam and won't wrap up until the second coming of Christ in judgment on the world, to save and redeem those that look for him. The Lord explains what Abraham's descendants are going to inherit, and thou shalt be a blessing unto thy seed after thee, that in their hands they shall bear this ministry and priesthood unto all nations. And I will bless them through thy name. For as many as receive this gospel shall be called after thy name and shall be accounted thy seed, and shall rise up and bless thee, as unto their father. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And in thee, that is, in thy priesthood, and in thy seed, that is, thy priesthood, for I give unto thee a promise that this right shall continue in thee and in thy seed after thee, Abraham 3, paragraph 1. The record of Abraham was given in order to understand the covenant that God made with Abraham and to vindicate the promise that's made in the Book of Mormon. If the Book of Mormon was translated by the gift and power of God, the Book of Abraham was translated no differently, only by the gift and power of God. It includes information that's vital for men and women to understand so they can inherit the same gospel that was given to Abraham. In so doing, they can lay hold upon the same blessings that were given to Abraham and realize that the covenants that were made with the fathers can be understood, activated, and realized, and they can obtain those same blessings here in the last days. Joseph's work had to necessarily include recovery of the covenants with Abraham. One may regard himself as a Gentile, but the covenant that was made with Abraham makes one a descendant of Abraham if he hearkens to that same God and receives that same gospel. If Gentiles are willing to receive what God has offered, then they're numbered among the house of Israel. See 1 Nephi 3, paragraph 25, and 3 Nephi 9, paragraph 11. The Book of Mormon reveals that God made a covenant with Abraham in the beginning and at the end. God intends to vindicate the covenant that was made with Abraham by changing Gentiles into the house of Israel, by covenant. Abraham looked forward to having seed that would be countless, despite only having one son. The time will come when everyone who receives this gospel, that is, the gospel that Abraham had in his possession, a gospel that is unfolding in front of your eyes today. That gospel will continue to unfold until all of its covenants, rights, obligations, privileges, and understandings will all roll out. The restoration will be completed, but the promise was made to Abraham that whenever the gospel is on the earth, those who receive it will acknowledge Abraham as their covenant father, the father of the righteous. Seed of Christ Those who accept Christ as their father. Those who receive him to be their parent and his offspring. And those who become the begotten sons and daughters of God. They are also referred to as heirs of the kingdom. They are spirit children of God the Father, but they have to come here and become born again, become the seed of Christ, who is both the Father and the Son. Those who benefit from all this and who are the seed of the Savior are those who are connected with Him by adoption, by affiliation, and otherwise. And thus God breaketh the bands of death, having gained the victory over death, giving the Son power to make intercession for the children of men, having ascended into heaven having the bowels of mercy, being filled with compassion toward the children of men, standing betwixt them in justice, having broken the bands of death, having taken upon himself their iniquity and their transgressions, having redeemed them and satisfied the demands of justice. And now I say unto you, who shall declare his generation? Behold, I say unto you that when his soul has been made an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. And now what say ye? And who shall be his seed? 
Behold, I say unto you that whosoever has heard the words of the prophets, yea, all the holy prophets who have prophesied concerning the coming of the Lord, I say unto you that all those who have hearkened unto their words, and believe that the Lord would redeem His people, and have looked forward to that day for a remission of their sins, I say unto you that these are His seed, or they are heirs of the kingdom of God, Mosiah 8, paragraph 7-8. Salvation is tied to accepting prophets actually sent by Christ, not pretenders He has not spoken with. Joseph taught, Whenever men can find out the will of God and find an administrator legally authorized from God, there is the kingdom of God. But where these are not, the kingdom of God is not. If man can find anyone sent by God, there is the kingdom of God. This is a true principle. Someone is sent to declare a message. Any who hear and hearken will become his seed. This is how men and women obtain faith, and faith brings them to meet God. We will find redemption, hear His voice, and become holy because His Word is in us. We will have no doubt about our salvation because He will declare it in His own voice to us. See also the glossary entry, Raise Up Seed. Seer The concept captured by the title seer involves sight. Seeing is the hallmark of the seer. They have vision. A seer is someone who has knowledge of things which cannot be seen with the natural eye. When Joseph Smith received the Urim and Thummim from an angel, he was told, the possession and use of these stones were what constituted seers in ancient or former times. Joseph Smith History Part 3, Paragraph 3 See also, Mosiah 5, Paragraph 13 When anyone has possession of such an instrument, they are, by definition, a seer. The instrument itself allows the possessor to see the past, present, and future. However, it is not necessary to possess this instrument to be a seer. Whenever hidden knowledge is revealed to a person, the recipient is a seer. Whether they have a urim and thummim or not, anyone receiving divine revelation of future or past events has the gift of seership. It remains the calling of a seer to reveal things which are secret or hidden. Seers have a responsibility to teach others or, if their contemporary generation rejects them, to leave a written testimony for future generations. Any people who have a seer among them gain knowledge of things as they are, as they were, and as they are to come. Mankind needs living seers, or they are cut off from one of the gifts intended to guide them. Seership and exaltation are connected, there is no reason you cannot also receive the gift of seership to guide you as occasion requires. The knowledge of some things requires you to behold the past, present, and future. Seership is a voluntary process. Anyone who is willing to follow the path to get there may climb the mountain and see into the distance. Seership is something that all ought to expect will be included in the Lord's tutelage while they are here. Selflessness Surrendering all to God The Lord frees us through selflessness. It is the great escape from our earthly prison. We must lose ourselves if we want to find Him. We must surrender our will to His to find the same freedom that He enjoyed. This does not mean surrender to men. It means surrender to Him. He never asked us to follow another man. We are supposed to be selfless in responding to the Lord's demands, not to the demands of any man or men. The difference is profound. Self-reliance King Benjamin struck the perfect balance on the subject of self-reliance.
his example was his greatest sermon. King Benjamin refused to tax or oppress his people, although he could have done so as the monarch. Instead, he labored with his own hands and spent his life serving his people. He governed to end the servitude that had been allowed under the law of Moses. Long before Christ would do so, King Benjamin freed men from slavery. But it came at a social cost. Servitude was limited under Moses' law to six years. In the seventh year, the servant was freed. See Exodus 13, paragraph 1. So without servitude to repay debt, some were forced to beg. For the sake of the impoverished, King Benjamin taught his people to give to beggars. He expected his people to notice them and not allow them to petition in vain for relief of their needs. He forbade withholding from beggars because of the convenient thought that beggars deserve their direful condition. According to King Benjamin, all are beggars. See Mosiah 2. No one is or can ever be anything more than a beggar, dependent upon God. God gives everyone the power to live. He gives them the power to breathe and the ability to move and do what they will. God lends all of this to man so he can choose according to his own wishes. Since all are beggars, utterly dependent on God for their very existence, they have nothing to brag of and no legitimate claim to self-reliance. That recognition is what motivated King Benjamin, though a monarch, to humbly labor for his own support. In this modern day of abundance, men and women are easily misled into thinking the blessings of their productive society permit them to be self-reliant. Of course, abundance is only temporary. The principles upon which current society's prosperity was built have been discarded. Therefore, one's riches will become slippery, as the fruit of true principles vanish from those who dishonor the foundation upon which that prosperity was conferred. Helaman 5, Paragraph 8 In the coming scarcity of the last days, safety will only be found in Zion. Zion will require the laborer to labor only for Zion, not for himself. See 2 Nephi 11, Paragraph 17 And together all will perform the required great labor to build and sustain the society. No one can expect to eat or be clothed in Zion if he or she does not work to produce the necessities. Benjamin's talk provides a framework for Zion. The hopelessness of man's presumed independence from God is stressed in his statement that by taking thought none of us can add one cubit unto his stature. Matthew 3, paragraph 37, Luke 8, paragraph 23, and 3 Nephi 6, paragraph 1. Our lives are not ours. They belong to Him. We have no independence from Him. We are not self-existent beings. We borrow all we are and have from Him. Even, as it turns out, the dust from which we are made belongs to Him. If God gives us air to breathe, power to exist, the capacity to move, and sustains all of us from moment to moment, then how little faith is required to rely on Him to provide His disciples with food and raiment? The purpose of putting a man in such a dependent state before God is not to find out whether God can take care of him. God already knows what a man needs before he should even ask. But the man will, by becoming so dependent upon God, acquire a broken heart and a contrite spirit, always quick to ask, quick to listen, quick to do. Vulnerability makes a man strong in spirit. Security and wealth make a man incorrectly believe in his independence from God. He wants his disciples to be dependent upon him. He wants them praying, and then grateful to him for what he provides. He wants them, in a word, 
to become holy. Seraphim One of the classes of the powers of heaven, seraphim dwell in everlasting burnings. They are the glorious ones in flames of glory, CTNC 123, paragraph 22. The Hebrew verb seraph means to burn and may be applied to their extraordinary brightness and fiery appearance. Seraphim are the burning, fiery ones, and the word literally means fiery snakes or serpents. A number of biblical verses associate seraphim with snakes or serpents. The Lord sent fiery serpents, or seraphim, among the people and ordered Moses to make a fiery serpent, or seraph, and set it upon a pole. Numbers 10, paragraph 7. Seraphim are described as heavenly beings that stand above the throne of God, proclaiming holiness, and who are able to minister to mortals. See Isaiah 2, paragraphs 1-2.